Welcome to the MPA Show. I'm your host, Aristotle Domingo, and joining me today is inspirational speaker, motorcycle enthusiast, and lead guitarist in her ACDC tribute band, Bear Rump, Angie Sandow. She was born with an upper limb difference, but that is not all that Angie speaks about in her determination to be a better version of herself. Welcome to the show, Angie, and thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Right, we're certainly excited to, to have you here um, with us today. So perhaps give us a little snapshot of your experience growing up with the limb difference. Well, I um, actually faced a double whammy. I grew up in the early 60s um, and I grew up at a time when girls didn't do the things that I did. Um, I was born with some congenital birth defects, the most uh, visible of which is my right arm and hand. And it, it never stopped me. My parents always encouraged me to do whatever I set my mind to and reach for the stars. And uh, so I love sports. So I got into hockey and football and baseball, things that girls do today. Back then, it was, it was a double whammy. You can't do this because you're a girl. So that's what I'd hear from the kids, my peers. And how are you going to do this? Because you can't catch, you can't throw, you know, so... I think a lot of what I faced made me stronger as I grew up. And I was just thinking about this just before we started speaking about, I, I you know, I, I've asked some folks, I don't remember very much back then, but they said, how was I when I was growing up? And this, you know, you were bubbly and you were exciting and you were fun. You wanted to play, you wanted to participate, but I remember being shy. And I think I was shy in those circumstances where I didn't feel comfortable. You know, when I was with people that I was being introduced to that I, I, I met for the first time, um, whether it was my peers or adults, that's when I would become shy. And I remember standing and like hiding my arm, you know, or, or standing with my arms folded or, or something like that. I, it, it was a very uncomfortable feeling because I'd be looked at as if I were different. And I was never made to feel that I was different. So you'd get the, oh, you poor dear, you poor dear, and the pity eyes and, and inside, even as a child, that would really upset me. <laughs> and, it was, and my parents always taught me, don't get upset, understand other people. They don't necessarily mean anything bad, but I would get upset because I say, but you see, this is why I have to fight for everything that I do. So that's, that's how it all started with me. Um, and I, I, I guess over the years, you know, it, 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 it's, I, I, it's made me stronger and have more confidence in myself. Well, you know what, there was a couple of things that I faced back then, you know, it was, early 60s, so there were still a lot of vets coming back from the war and a lot of amputees. And when you're not born as an amputee, this is all you know, you know, so you, you but you're mixed in with, they, they put everybody in one group kind of thing. And, and the first thing was I felt like, not through my parents, but I just felt society was you have to hide this. You have to hide this. So in, I grew up in Montreal, Quebec, and I went to a place that I remember as the rehab to be fitted for a prosthetic. And I remember saying to mom, why? Why do I need to be fitted for this? I mean, I was doing all kinds of things and just figuring it out. But, you know, in hindsight, it would have been good to wear the prosthetic because it would have balanced me out um, for weight. Um, but yeah, so when before I had the prosthetic, you'd hear a lot of, hey, kid, what's wrong with you? And yeah, I was bullied and picked on. And um, there's one kid, he dragged me on the road. And he said, you know, you're not normal. And uh, I even have experiences, even when I was growing up as a teenager, I was on school, not school, bus, sorry, the city bus, going to school and a, a fellow grabbed my arm and he just held it up like this and he goes, you're a freak, you know, um, and you shouldn't, you shouldn't, 
you know, you know, be out in public. And it, it wasn't all the time, but, you know, it was sporadic. And I, I just learned not to let these things bother me. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I dealt with that. But then when I started wearing the prosthetic, which I didn't wear for long because I said it's preventing me from doing things for me, um, then I was, I, 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 I was called names because of the prosthetic. So it started off as a hook. And, you know, with the elastic band and it would open, it was like a harness. I remember like yesterday, this thing digging into my underarm as I ate this thing. Um, but then they changed it really quickly to a, a hand, which would just, would just do this. And I'd say to my mom, but what is it doing? I can't, I can't play. I can't, you know, I'm restricted. But then the kids started calling me mechanical hand. So then I started becoming a bully myself. And this was actually in, in grade one. And I, I found that if I hit kids, you know, they'd stop and they'd stop making fun of me. And, and now though it was turning into fear. And I remember very vividly one day, my teacher saying, uh, the principal wanted to speak to me and I was, you know, a little girl and I'm nervous and everything. And I go out in the hall and there he is with my mother uh, in a classroom, an empty classroom. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, uh, you know, you're using your prosthetic as a weapon and you're hurting people. And, you know, I, and I remember starting to cry and I said, well, they're making fun of me. And he said, you're going to have to learn to deal with this type of stuff throughout your life. And this is not the right way to handle it. And I stopped just like that. And I'll never forget. He was so calm and kind and just treated me like another kid. Yeah. Now, that wasn't your only sort of battle or uphill challenge growing up. You got into motorcycles as well. Um but tell us the story about how you even got into that, because I think that's very interesting in how you got into motorcycle, became very passionate about it, and now you speak motorcycle all the time as well in your writing. So take us through that. Well, the interesting thing with the motorcycles is ever since I was a kid, I, I loved motorcycles. And, and that's because of my sister, because she was dating this fellow that used to race at Daytona, actually. And I was about five then too. And he showed up at the house with his buddy on a motorcycle. And to me, he looked like a superhero, you know, with his helmet and dark shield. And, and I, I, again, was standing behind her leg and peering around and she said, do you want to ride? Said, yes, <laughs> I do want to ride. So they got me on the back of the bike and we lived on a crescent type of thing. And when I realized that I was just going around the block at a very slow speed, I became very <laughs> upset very quickly. I mean, wow, I, I had that from a very young kid. So his buddy gave me the same ride. And, and then I realized that's it. That's all I'm getting. And off my sister went. And But it, it just left this, this passion in me. I think, wow, is this ever cool? And, and you know, I, I like to ride my bicycle. I always like to ride my bicycle. And I was always trying to go faster. But that motorcycle just it was just a sensation I got even as a kid. And, and I would watch sports with my father. And back then, Evil Knievel was really big. And he's the guy that would always do the jumps. And most times he would fail. And But I was, I loved it, the cape and the helmet. And it's just something that captured me. So when I was a teenager, I remember talking to my parents and saying, I'd really like to get a moped. You know, kids in the area have a moped. I would like to get a moped. They didn't want me to have a moped because they didn't want me to get hurt. I, I influenced them somehow to get a moped and I rode that thing into the ground and it was modified because <clears throat> I was riding with one hand, but I don't remember the modifications that they did. All I remember was pedaling like mad to get the thing started or pedaling when we go up a hill and realizing this is not a motorcycle, <laughs> it's a motorized bicycle. So uh, in my late teens, 
I went to a dealership, motorcycle dealership, and I remember talking to a fellow about the possibility of riding my own motorcycle. And he, back then, things were different. We didn't have the social media that we do today. You know, you, you didn't, you weren't able to surf things and 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 find solutions. So from speaking with him, you know, the, the bikes were on the left side, and he's pointing me at the right side and saying, "We got scooters that might work for you." And and that really discouraged me. Even though I look back, he was trying to help me, and he was trying to get me on something a bit more powerful. But it wasn't what I wanted. I wanted a motorcycle. Um, so you, you walked out of there a little bit discouraged because I was all excited and thought I could actually get a bike. And then the years took over. Life goes by very, very quickly, very quickly. And um, the bikes were always near and dear to me, but you get caught up in other things with your life. Uh, and then I formed a band. Uh, it was an ACDC tribute band that I formed. And we started doing all these gigs. And next thing I know, we're playing at a motorcycle charity events. So it brought me right back to the bikes. And I met people. And they, you know, I was Angus Young. So I was playing lead guitar. And there's kind of like a little picture of me up there. Um, and it's Angus, you know, well, come for a ride. Come for a ride. So I was on all these different bikes. And, and the passion was starting to wake up again. So I talked to my husband and said, you know, we got to get a bike. One day. One day one day and one day just didn't come until 2014 when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I, so I, I get diagnosed with breast cancer in February, 2014. And the first question I asked the surgeon was, am I going to die? And he said, well, we're going to try and prevent that from happening. And the next thing I said to my husband is we're getting a motorcycle. When this is over, we're getting a bike. And we did, uh, he got his motorcycle in 2016. And uh, I was, the idea was I was going to be a passenger. But then one day I, I, I looked out into the garage, he was at work and his bike was sitting there and this was in 2016. And I looked at the bike and I thought, gee, I want to go for a ride, but I can't, I can't because he's not here. And the word can't does not exist in my vocabulary. So mixed emotions. So I started surfing the net and I saw people riding with one hand and, and what they could accomplish. And I thought, wow, there's hope. So um, it, it was an up and down journey, I'll tell you, but uh, I got my first motorcycle in 2017 and it was modified and I've been riding ever since and I uh, just love it. Just love it. Right. So I was going to ask you how the modification is. You know, there are ways to modify a bike, much like a car where you can have hand controls. So explain to us then what the modifications you have to control the bike, all the mechanics on one hand and then steer at the same time. <laughs> So I'm just trying to picture that. So maybe, you know, explain to us um, how you would ride your bike. Okay. Well, um, the interesting thing was when I got my bike, the first bike was a Honda Rebel. It was a 2017 Honda Rebel and has really fat tires and the front was a total redesign. And same thing. I was thinking, well, how am I going to do this? Um, because the throttle, yes, it's on the right and the front brake is on the right. Um, and you got your clutch on the left-hand side. Uh, so through, you know, Honda connected me uh, with a shop mission cycle up in Angus. And I met with this, this fellow, Todd, the owner, and he actually modified a, a bike for a fellow that's uh, paralyzed from the chest down. So all about the hand controls and everything else. And uh, it's unbelievable what he did on a KTM bike. So he's very much into safety. Uh, and we talked about the bike. So what we did on that bike was he put what it's like a finger throttle on the left-hand side. So I would use my finger like this to, to make the bike go. He moved the front brake from the right to the left. 
And what he did was with the clutch, because I wouldn't be using a clutch, was he took the original components from the motorcycle, sent it off to a shop in Ohio, where they uh, take your, your parts and they, I use the expression, they MacGyver it, they put ball bearings in it and all kinds of stuff. They send it back. He reinstalls it into the bike. And what that does is it kind of turns it into a semi-automatic. So now you're riding at certain RPMs, the bike would disengage automatically, wouldn't have to use a, a clutch. Um, and then I would still shift. And this was great for the Rebel. It was because the Rebel's a very light bike. Um, and it, it, as it was my first bike, it was a 300. And within three months, I moved up to a, a Shadow, which has a lot more power. And I rode that one for about a year. And what I found with the Shadow was it, it seemed like the torque on that bike didn't get along with this, this clutch, like a centrifugal force clutch. And the plates of the clutch would fuse a lot. So this became a very expensive proposition. The bike would, you know, I, I, the, you couldn't, the bike wouldn't go. So I found a, a motorcycle. It's a, a Honda CTX. It's a dual clutch. So in, in other words, it can be ridden as an automatic. Uh, the unfortunate thing is I couldn't find it in Canada because I think they only distributed here for a short time. And of course I wasn't looking for it back then. So I had to get it uh, from New York and I, I exported it from the States and brought it in here. So with that one, it's a lot simpler. All we had to do was we, we moved the throttle, but now I'm on a thumb throttle. So I ride like this now um, because I found that more comfortable. So similar to an ATV, it was fabricated, mounted on the left side and the um, front brake is still on the left side, but that's it. I don't have to do anything with the clutch because this is just the mechanics of the motorcycle. So riding with one hand for me, that's all I know. That's all I know. And, and I do, I, I know I use my abs and uh, I've always been told, like you were saying uh, about this fellow, but you know, you use your legs a lot and you're hugging the bike. That's exactly what you do. And sometimes, I mean, I can, I, I don't even have to hold, you know, I, I've learned to just maneuver the bike this way. Not that I ride that way, but just to learn different ways that you, because you, if, what if there's an emergency situation and how would you handle it? And uh, so the only thing I don't like is gravel. And I don't care if you have one hand, two hands. I don't care. I just don't like it. <laughs> if you put me on gravel, I will curse you. <laughs> but yeah, that's how I, I ride. So, yeah. So you don't wear any um, assistive device on the other, even with a hook that's something that hooks onto the, to the handles or anything like that for that side? I don't. What I do find I do sometimes if it gets windy, you know, at certain times, um, I might lean forward. And then what I do is I just balance my my hand on the on the bar. So I'm, I might lean that way. And, you know, there, there's been a few places that have talked to me about maybe putting some type of adaptive device on it. But um, when I was going through breast cancer, I had a port put in and they had to put the port here on the right hand side. And as a result of the port coming out, I developed frozen shoulder and I had to deal with that for three years. And I just find that it's, it's, it's basically back to what it was, but for me to keep my arm a certain way, I, it gets tired. And I've been in some situations where I've had to stop pretty quickly and whatnot. So for me, I find it's okay. Um, actually, I also find too, if I want to grab the handlebar, cause I'm, I'm backing up. So I'm pushing the bike back. I can grip it and I have my left hand, like can just pull it back. Yeah, I'm just trying to picture um, how you would, be writing that so you said your elbow so you threw your your upper limb one or your yeah to towards you and then use your back to somehow almost move the bike back yeah if i'm while back you're controlling while you're controlling the other the handle with your other hand with your dominant well, hand yeah we see if i'm backing up right so i mean i just have the bikes in neutral and i'm just pull, pulling it back but when i'm riding i mean i've got yeah everything's going on in the left hand 
on the this left hand. Hand's, this hand's free. Um, and, you know, in the motorcycle community, when you pass a bike, you know, you do the two fingers, right? You, 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 you know, and so people will pass me and I'm going like this. And I'm thinking, well, I hope they don't think I'm saying Well, it looks like you're giving them the, a middle right? finger of sorts. <laughs> and I'm just, you know, or, or, or as a trucker, you, you say, hurry up or hot yeah. the horn, right? That, that <laughs> movement of pull down, pull down. Right. So that that would be interesting to see on the. But do you ride solo? Oh, you said you ride with your husband, but do you both just ride together or do you ride as a group as well? Because I know a lot of motorcycle, yeah. have motorcycle enthusiasts, friends who ride every weekend or whatever, where they ride as groups of people and ride across the 401. For those of you who know, 401 is one of the largest highways, I think, not only in Canada, but around the world. But you see groups of riders right. um, that ride their bikes that way. I, I ride with my husband. Um, and as soon as the weather gets nice, we'll get those bikes out. I, I, you know, it's just this, especially with what we're going through and what we're living through today with, you know, COVID and, and lockdowns and everything else. I, I just have to get out and get some air. It, the, the, what it does and, and, and helps your mind and frees you and, and you don't think about anything or worry about anything. It's, skunks smell good when if you can believe that but yeah i ride with my husband we we will go uh you know i i like to go five to 700 kilometers in a day even if it's just a weekend ride like you know um so still a lot of miles <laughs> but uh we do ride with groups too we we have some friends that we ride with every so often and that's kind of cool it's a different kind of experience and you ride staggered um and that's all for safety so you always have an exit god forbid that something happens but uh, yeah we do both and it's always cool to meet people i mean that's that's the coolest thing is i always felt with the motorcycle community that from the day i entered it i was never judged i was never looked at any differently than anybody else you know the people would say you see you ride a bike they see another motorcycle rider you shouldn't yeah. feel alone and and you shouldn't feel like you have to prove yourself to anybody and, you know, I know these days, I mean, it's, it's, and it's so important, you know, with diversity and acceptance and welcoming everybody regardless. And, and for me growing up, I never saw people as different. I was seen as different, but I never saw anybody as different, tall, short, you know, it didn't matter to me, pink, blue, it, people are people and you should feel accepted everywhere. And I found that once people got to know me, I was accepted. Um, but you're right. You know, I, I found with sports too, because I, I love sports and again, double whammy when I grew up, because I, I played goal, I love playing goal. So I used to put the gear on when my dad used to help me and I'd, I'd, I'd catch with this hand. So I'd use a smaller kind of glove on this side and I'd use a, the regular equipment. And back then the, the stuff that you put on, you tie it with laces, you detach it with laces. So I have a junior on one side and the senior on the other side and show up at the rink. Cause I would just play shinny. And the first thing was, it's a girl. And sometimes that felt good because, oh, they don't notice this. That's so cool. Like, I mean, so I'm going to get in because they'd say, well, what's your name? Aren't you a girl? And I go, no, my name's Angelo. <laughs> and I think they knew all along. Right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, but as soon as you're playing and everything, you're right. You're just seen as another another participant, right? That enjoys the same thing as, as those around you. Right. No, absolutely. And, and again, it's that sense of community and yes. sense of belonging, right, which is, I think, very important, especially back then, you didn't really have a lot of outlets. Um, now with social media, you have a lot of outlets and you can really belong in a community. You have this amazing story as well about your guitar playing that I want to get into because you have this opportunity to play with the Stone Temple Pilots. 
and got to learn probably one of the most iconic songs with ACDC and Thunderstruck, which I think Thunderstruck is like one of those, you hear just the vamp of it and you're like, yep, that's Thunderstruck, <laughs> right? So can you tell us more about that experience? Oh, sure. Well, I started playing guitar when I was uh, early teens and uh, I picked up the guitar because of Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin. And um, so for me at the beginning, it was playing and, and this hand was a hand that would pick and I didn't have a- That's a, your um, uh, different hand, yeah. Exactly right. So, and it would bleed and hurt and everything else, but I was teaching myself and eventually I got a prosthetic, um, which back then was very rudimentary. It was just like this thing and, and, and it had a couple of things of Velcro with a clip, literally with a clip to hold the pick. Um, so I, I would play and, and, and um, in 2000, cause I've always been an ACDC fan. I love ACDC. Uh, I, I guess I always saw Angus as an inspiration because he's a smaller guy. You don't realize how small he is. He's a smaller guy. And I thought, well, he's got his hands my size. So if he can do what he's doing, I should be able to do it. And uh, my husband and I were actually uh, uh, at an event where three of the guys were uh, from the band. It was actually Malcolm Angus and the drummer, Phil. And they were doing this thing for 97.7 Hits FM a radio station uh, to promote their new album. And... Um, I was dressed up in the suit and you always had to wear the suit. And uh, I, so I got to meet them after the interview and there was an ACDC trip band that was going to be playing after. So we got back into this little, you know, the room where they had them before they were going to leave. And I said, you know, Angus, I said, is it possible that you can just show me how to play Thunderstruck? Cause there was a guitar there and he did. He, he went and got the guitar and I was always trying to do it by myself. I mean, this is the thing I'd always try and teach stuff by myself and learn stuff by myself and you get tab you know to look at and but if I see something I guess I'm a visual and if somebody shows me something I, I could pick it up fairly quickly and he stood there he's on one side his brother Malcolm was on the other side and he's showing me and I'm watching like this and I went home the next day and I played it um, and I met him a, a few times after that and and his brother Malcolm and I remember talking to Malcolm about the prosthetic and and he, you know, he gave me some suggestions and advice. So that was really, really cool. Um, and I'll never, never forget that. Um, very fortunate. With Stone Temple Pilots, um, I've always been a big Stone Temple Pilots fan. Uh, and I actually got to get on stage with them in New York uh, and Hamilton, Ontario, and actually Toronto at the Danforth when Scott was with his own band, uh, the Wildabouts. And I sang the beginning, the intro to um, Dead and Bloated. Uh, and this is the thing about, I know sometimes I, I, when I, I say, when I look back, how I'd be shy, you know, and I'd hide myself. If I would have continued down that path and I never would have done some of these things because I always would have felt uncomfortable. And I got to the point where, you know what, this is how I am. And if someone doesn't like it, well, so be it, but I got to live my life. And, and I, these are things that I enjoy doing. Um, and that's one of the reasons actually I formed the ACDC tribute band, because I figured I can play and I can show people not, you know, what people can accomplish and don't form your opinions based on how people look. Um, so that was really cool with the ACDC with Stone Temple Pilots. That was just phenomenal. And, and there's actually one little story about Scott. I, you know, those people that are familiar with Scott Weiland, um, often he's, he's perceived, you know, I know he had, he had bipolar issues. He had drug issues. He, he had, but it's so easy to go, you know, the guy's just a, a, a drug guy. Well, I remember meeting him in, in Toronto at the Danforth um, when he was with his own band. We talked after the gig and, and after I was on stage and all that. And I remember I was so distraught. And, and here I am, I'm talking to someone that's a 
big inspiration to me. And I, I started crying because I, I had no hair. I was, I was bald because I was going through chemo treatment at the time. And I said, you know, last time I met you, I had hair and now I don't have hair. And, you know, and I remember like yesterday, he said, big deal. He says, I gotta call my drummer over. Mike, come over here. And he introduced me to this fellow, Mike, who was drumming for him at the time, who had gone through cancer at a very young age. And, is, you know, I'm still in connection with him. And he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. And, and Mike and I spent, I don't know, maybe about 20, 30 minutes talking. And that's where it comes. It's so important to have someone that you can relate to, that you can speak to, you can share your experiences. Because I walked away, I felt so good um, after that discussion. And I also looked at someone like Scott and said, you see, I think we all have something that's so good in, that, in us that we all, I think, want to help each other at the end of the day. To hear it from someone also kind of, I think, validates that that second guessing of yourself going, maybe I can't do that. Oh, but I can, you know, it's cliche to say, well, if he can do it, I can do it. But it, it, there's some truth to that sometimes, right? It's oh, like, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, we, we, we did a benefit once for sick kids with the ACDC trip. And I remember there were some kids there and, you know, they were, they were outpatients of the hospital and um, there was a little guy, he inspired me. And I remember him standing with his dad and we were playing TNT and he was just a little guy. And then we're, we're done the song and I hear, look at her little arm, look at her little arm. Like she can play with her little arm. And I saw some people like they were uncomfortable, like they're uncomfortable and, and they looked embarrassed, you know? And for me, I would rather that you speak to me that you, I don't mind that at all. And he was doing it and he's so, in, children are so innocent, you know? And, and I remember I went up and spoke to him afterwards. Um, and his dad said, you know, this is the first time he smiled in so long. I mean, he had some issues going on with his face and it was a bit disfigured. And so, you know, the kids would laugh and point at him and everything else. And here he was, I was talking to him like, he's just another kid. That's exactly what he was, just another kid. Um, and that's, I think, part of when I really realized that I want to get into inspirational speaking because I feel so good. I feel so good if I can help somebody. Uh, it, it's this connection. And if your experiences can help me and mine can help you, I mean, when I was playing in the band and I met so many people, I remember this firefighter and he came up to me and he's showing me stitches of where he had his fingers reattached. And he said, you know, if you can play guitar, he said, I can do anything. And, that, you know, that, that, that's the best feeling that you can get is to hear something like that, that you're helping somebody. Just talking about your inspirational speaking and you did go around sharing your story. What would you like people to learn about your journey? What, you know, from your experience, what do you want to take away when you speak when you speak at these events? Well, my big thing is um, I live by the mantra: "Why discourage when you can encourage?" Um, and I'd like people to take away that you know there is no reason why you can't do the things that you aspire to do. You might do them a little bit differently. That's okay. Limitation limitations are okay. I don't ride a motorcycle like everybody, you know, um, but there's people with two hands that can't play guitar. I mean, we're all different and we all have different interests and, and different things that inspire us and motivate us. So that's what I like people to take away is that, yes, you can. And, uh, you know, and why can't I, why can't I? And that there's a positive everywhere. It's just, yeah, sometimes it's a bit hard to find. I mean, when I got diagnosed with breast cancer at that moment, I didn't see the positive in it at all, but it, it got me riding my bike. It, it, I've met some amazing, amazing people. Um, some of which I'm still friends with my girlfriend in Florida that we connected because of that. I mean, we call each other superheroes and I met the nicest man that I never wanted to meet. Who's my oncologist. <laughs> I never would have met him. And, and he's just a great guy. And, 
And I learned so much about myself and to appreciate life more and to, you know, stop looking at the negative and really focusing that is positive. Uh, and that's what I try to share with people and have folks, you know, take away uh, when I speak. How do you come around to changing the mindset? It looks like, or it sounds like you had been born with it, but I think we're really born with it. I think we grow on experiences. So from an early childhood growing up in Montreal to your cancer treatment, how do you practice changing your mindset? That's a really good question. And, um, you know, I just think it's, it's belief in yourself. I, 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 I always had the confidence and I figured, well, listen, none of us come with an expiry date, right? And whatever we go through, as you were saying, it, it, it makes you stronger. It's all chapters in your life. And I know some people live their lives like where there's the before this and there's the after this, whatever this is. But the way I looked at it is we're not going to leave this world the same way we came in. You know, when we're kids, we play, we get scarred up, we, we do things, we, you know, we're experiencing all kinds of stuff. Um, so to me, I just look at everything as it's just another chapter and it helps me to learn more about me. And also I feel that it helps me to share more with other people. You know, I, I, every time something happens, I meet people in other communities. Like for example, in the breast cancer, there's obviously a lot of people that, that have gone through it. And I actually became a, a peer support volunteer uh, with Wellspring um, to help people. So it's just, you got two options, right? You, you can sit and just, sit and I believe me I have dark days sometimes and I do have that happen sometimes where I just sit and I'm, I'm like this or I pick up the cell phone and I'm just I, I feel down um, but then something hits me and goes why do you feel like this you know there's so much you can do you could be playing the guitar you could be this you could be that you know so it's okay to feel down I think too as long as you pick yourself back up and you have that community um, one thing I can say is when I was just before chemo you go through this this uh, learning session, what to expect. And one of the things that they, they, they say to you is, how do you feel when you help somebody? And we're all sitting there, yeah, we feel, we feel pretty good. And they said, well, you know what? You're gonna need help through this journey. So help others to feel good and let them help you. And, and that stuck with me. Uh, so I think that all turns you into who you are. And... and it's right behind you on your poster too, where it says, why discourage when you can encourage? And I like that message of, you know, encouraging people, uh, lifting people up right. and, you know, and, and showing them the way. That's easy to discourage, right? That's so easy. And, and, and I think most of us, we, what do we do? We, we go somewhere and we're, well, you know, this could have been better or that service could have been better or that we're always, it's so easy to, to focus on negative. And how often do we go to somebody and say, you know what, you, you did really well. Thank you so much for this. And, you know, if, it's just, it's, it seems so difficult for us, but Hey, all of us are where we are because somebody believed in us. So, I mean, even in my corporate life, if, if I didn't get that opportunity uh, when I entered the corporate world, because it was difficult to get in, believe me. I mean, I, I, I went for some interviews and it, 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 you know, this is the thing people were already determining. You can't hold a file. You can't, how are you going to serve coffee? You, you can't, how are you going to do data entry? Well, what you're, you, you know, I, I'll do it. Believe me, I can do it. Well, yeah, but you, you, there's no way you can do that. So you have to fight, fight, fight. But eventually, you know, you get these people that they believe in you and it helps. And to your point, what you were saying is, you know, I've managed some pretty large teams and I've managed smaller teams. And I've always shared my story. I don't have anything to hide because I feel that by sharing the story, you, you, you inspire people 
and sometimes they don't realize what they have inside of them and it's just helping them to to figure it out for themselves and help them move on you know we all need somebody to help us at some point you you brought up a really good point there and somebody had brought that up as well in one of the uh, the interviews I've done is about asking for help and not to be ashamed of asking for that. I don't have anything to prove to anyone. I am just as a person, just like everyone else. Why am I making this hard for myself when, yeah, can you pass me the basket? Yeah. Can you open the door? Like what? There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't make me less of a person by asking for those things. Doing that for so long and 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 not accepting help. She found that she, it had caused her more issues later on in life. I was going to ask you about your shoulder injury, if that was from overuse, because she, uh, she talked about overuse of her um, limb different side, right? Because your body's compensating for the other weight that isn't there. And so she said, so yeah, so she said, asking for somebody to open a heavy door for me, why not? Because now I have overuse and now I'm paying for that. So I think that's a really good point about asking for help and not feeling like you are incapable of doing something. But you know, I get it. Because when I was growing up, I didn't ask for help. I didn't ask for help. And why? Because I felt like if I asked for help, then they, you know, I, my, the response I'd get is, you're just asking for help because you have one hand. And I didn't want to put myself in a situation where I might hear that. So stubbornly, you know, I, I would find my way through and figure out a way. And I can tell you that that side is still with me because I recently had carpal tunnel surgery. So I had carpal tunnel surgery on my left hand and you know, the doctor warned me, he said, don't overdo it. And, you know, I said, well, what can I lift? What can I lift? Because I could figure it out. I can, you know, (laughs) so, you know, my husband, he's been fantastic. And he's been helping me, but it's killing me. It's just something inside of me. And I know he's not helping me because he feels sorry for me or or anything. He's helping me to help me, but I'm still, let me do it. And if I need help, I'll ask you. And it's just this, this, you know, that's just me. Right. And I agree sometimes, you know, it's okay to ask for help. I mean, even with the bike, sometimes, you know, I'll park it and then maybe I'll, I'll be struggling to get it to a different point. People will see I'm struggling saying, Hey, you want some help? And my initial reaction is no, I can do it myself. But then it's, no, I know you're just offering just because you want to help me, right? With respect to the shoulder, and then I get the overuse. The funny thing is my overuse is happening on the left side and the twisting because, you know, even from playing guitar, I'm, I, because, this, you know, this side's shorter, I'm, I'm twisting more. So I'm paying for it kind of like in my hips. And um, the, 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 what happened with the frozen shoulder was uh, as a result of having a port in here for the chemo treatment. And when they took that out, it, it, it didn't take long. I mean, I couldn't even lift it. I, it was down by my side. And I'll tell you, that's the first time I felt like I had a problem um, because there's only so much I could do with this. Uh, and it was frustrating, but I got through it. Um, but yeah, for me, overuse, I feel it's more, yeah, from the, I really do feel it in twisting and I can't play as long as I'd like to. And I know I use that word can't. Um, I just have to take breaks. You just got to figure out a different way to do it. So, you know, and we're all like that. We're all getting older. It's going to happen anyway. What you do as you get older is not the same as when you're a kid, right? Absolutely. We call those adoptions. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So to your point, it's like, I'm going to take a break and then I'm going to play another set. How's that? And that's absolutely acceptable. I think musicians do it all the time. Yep. Right. Physically, it's exhausting 
to be doing all of that. So apps do not ever apologize for <laughs> taking a break is what I'm getting at. But just just that's just the realities of it all. Like, you know, you can't we can't do it all. And to your point earlier about understanding your limitations, being unlimited, it does not mean you're a hero, right? Mm-hmm. Does not make you a hero. I find that knowing and understanding and overcoming those limitations with our adoptions and how we do things differently is what makes you a hero. Yeah. Right. So well said. Yeah, that's so true. So true. Well, you know, once in the workplace, when I was just getting into the workplace and I was doing data entry and order desk and whatnot, back in the day when invoices were actually paper and you would file them in what's called a banker's box, uh, you know, I'd have to take invoices out and put them back. And I was having some difficulty. And even then I was saying, you know, if I say I'm having difficulty, they're going to say it's because of the way you are. So I would get help from people to help me put the invoices back. Um, and I remember one time my manager said, I heard that you're asking people for help, you know, to put the invoices back and, uh, you know, they need to be uh, doing their job. So um, you told me you can do anything. So I said, <laughs> I said, well, you have two hands. Can you play guitar? He says, you know, you give me a heart attack. He said, you give me a heart attack. And we both smiled and laughed and he left me alone. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it, it's true. That's why I say we all have limitations and that's okay. That's, that's cool. And it's nothing to be hard on yourself about, right? You know, I, I listen, I wanted to run my whole life. I wanted to run. And I promised myself from the time I was a little girl, I would run, always run. I'm not running. <laughs> I can walk pretty fast. <laughs> but if it's not your thing, it's not your thing. Right? And I, I'm really inspired by you and, and others that I go, oh my God, I, I just, maybe if I was by a beach, I guess. <laughs> well, with the cold that we're having, I don't right. really go outside to run myself. I have a treadmill, <laughs> thankfully, so I'm good. Going back to your childhood growing up in Montreal, what would you, what would be your message for kids today who may be experiencing the same life journey that you're experiencing and, and addressing bullies and parents of those children who are dealing with addressing bullies. And I think because just growing up in this day and age with social media to a point earlier, even though there are encouraging things that you see and encouraging communities, there is also a lot of e-bullying, if that's what it's called now, or whatever, you know, online bullying that happens. And it's, I think, more and more now with children. So what would your message to them be? Believe in yourself, you know, don't let others decide what you can and cannot do. And if somebody is treating you in a way that you don't find respectful, walk away, walk away. And, and, and you might feel hot inside and you might feel like your heart dropped to your feet. Um, but that's okay. That's an emotion and it's okay to have emotions. It's just learn to deal with those emotions because no matter what, you're always going to face people in your life. You're always going to have somebody that's not going to treat you maybe the way that you feel that you should be treated. Um, And that's what makes you strong is belief and confidence in yourself. And it's tough. I mean, I used to come home sometimes and I was crying and my mom, what bothered you? And I said, well, you know, so-and-so was looking at me and they were sitting behind me in class and, and they would whisper my name and I turn around, they make faces at me and, you know, make motions. She said, so why do you look? Why are you looking at them? Don't get, don't feed them. Don't give them the opportunity to see that they're upsetting you. 
and don't hesitate to ask for help. Communicate, don't keep it all inside. If you're having a problem, speak to your parents, speak to your teachers, speak to somebody, don't keep it inside and don't blame yourself. Don't blame yourself because you know, even those that you know don't have limb differences, we, we look the same. Believe me, it's going on with them too, right? Your hair's too long. Your eye, your eyes are the wrong color. You're the, there's always something. There's always some kid that'll find something. Um, so that's the message: is don't blame yourself, and raise the issue. Don't keep it inside, and recognize that the discomfort that you might feel is normal. We're human beings. We have different emotions. You're gonna have to learn to deal with it. You know. I think that's 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 important to hear about. It's you know it starts within you to grow as well, and it starts within you to to be strong. Only you can make yourself strong emotionally, mentally, physically as well. Now you have a, you're a published author as well. And you have a video documentary, I should say a movie documentary about you. So can you tell us more about that? Sure. Well, I um, decided a few years ago when I started writing that I wanted to put a documentary together just to share my story. Um, it was focused on the motorcycle community only because when I was looking to ride, uh, all the surfing that I did, it was primarily things that I found in the States. And I'm telling you, there are some amazing groups of people out there. You know, even on Facebook, I, I, there's amputee groups that it's the, the things that they've done to, to ride and the, the passion. That's what really got me going. That's what got me all excited, you know, to see what these folks had done. But I always thought, you know, nothing wrong with that, but there's nothing Canadian you know, uh, so part of me was saying, I'd just like to put together my story. And if it can help people in the community here, that's great. So um, I, I worked with a fellow by the name of uh, Christopher Darton. Uh, he's, he's fantastic. We actually met uh, last year and I told him, I said, look, there's a film festival called the Toronto Motorcycle Film Festival. And I love what the, 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 they're doing. And, and Chaos, who's the guy that uh, runs it, I said, he's, he's fantastic. And I really love the films and I think it would fit in really well. So we started filming and then of course COVID kicked in and we had to stop, um, but we, we were able to finish it last year. And in essence, it just tells my story of how I you know, started to ride, what I had to do to ride and, and um, the different people that I met along the way. Uh, so right now we've submitted it to a variety of film festivals, including the Toronto Motorcycle Film Festival. Uh, I'll find out July 30th. I'm crossing my fingers that it gets accepted. Uh, that, that means so much to me. Um, so I can't show it publicly yet until the film festivals have an opportunity to determine if they're going to view it or not. Um, and we're hoping that next year we can actually release it. Ideally, it would be really cool to do a premiere at one of the motorcycle shows. Um, but we'll see what happens with COVID and whatnot. But uh, it was a really good experience and anybody that's seen it has, has found it to be very inspiring. So that, that's good. I'm, I'm very happy. That was my intent is it can help people. Very good. Um, so where could people find you more or more about you? And, and I know you do, like I said, I brought up earlier that you do um, inspirational speaking as well. So where can people find you? My website is uh, www.justriden.com. Um, and I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, I have a YouTube channel that I'm just starting to build now. So bear with me. Uh, there's a little bit on there, but I'm, I'm going to have different components of it. You know, like my husband rides too. So we're going to, I'm going to have one. It's going to be kook and bean because I call him the kook and he calls me bean. Um, and bean came from when I 
didn't have any hair through cancer and he was calling me beanhead all the time. And it just, it made, just made me laugh and smile. And so we're cooking bean. So we're going to have videos there about our rides and different adventures that we do. And then I, I have another um, thing on my website. I'm going to start called why can't I, we're going to talk about my challenges and things that I've, I've, I've experienced and also would love to hear other people's stories. So I can share that too. Um, my mom always said, you never know who you're, you're reaching you know, and it, so it's important to do that. So um, those are the best ways to find me and uh, email. I mean, I'm contact us at justriding.com. So I'm out there and um, I, I, I welcome, I, I welcome anybody reaching out anytime. Awesome. Well, I want to thank Angie Sandow for sharing her story. I'll share the link on my website at www.airstyledomingo.com. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or show ideas, please connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at The Amphitheater Show. Until next time, I'm your host, Aristotle Domingo, and this has been The Amphitheater Show Podcast. <laughs>